You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. I'm Scott. And I'm Hamish. Today we're going to talk about using professionals. Cost versus reward. Obviously, professionals cost money. Is it worth the money? I guess that's what we're coming to. Well, it's the perception of value, isn't it? <laughs> so, um, so what do you reckon, Scott? What, no, look, what's, you know, what, the, what's the our is, value? The thing is, we are both consultants, you know, and it's a little bit, <laughs> I guess, a little bit difficult to speak about your own profession. But I see it, I'm a, I'm a profession, but I develop my own products as well. And I employ other people to do work for me. And I see the benefits. Uh, I'm good at what I do. Hamish is good at what he does. I would hate, I, I can't do naming. I can't do market message and all the rest of it where Hamish does. He does that for me. If Hamish had a product to develop, it'd be silly for him to go and try and develop it himself without all, all the years and years of expertise that go into that sort of thing. So um, professionals, they, they've been around in the industry for a long time. They're focused on one thing and they're very good at it generally. Um, obviously, you've got to look around and make sure you, you get good, good service providers. Um, I've certainly had situations with even medical professionals who just... Don't, don't get their own industry. So you just gotta make sure you find the right people. Uh, but once you have a good network around you, and, 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 and quite often a good professional will also have a good network of people around them. I know, I know when I have a good service provider, I hold on to them with both hands and never let go. When they, when they retire, there's a massive gap to fill and mm. I find it very difficult. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't ever refer anyone to anyone I haven't tested and used myself. So I'd just like to go through an example about industrial, my, my profession is industrial design. And for example, when I do a project, I generally pay for myself very quickly. So the reason for that is, um, for an example, if I, if I look at a product, I'm very concerned with making the product as suitable to the market as, as possible. And that can relate to um, the cost of it. You know, everything, your, your cost, your pro- profits and your purchase. So if you can make things cheaper, and more efficient, um, you're well ahead of the competition. So uh, making things refined and perfect for the industry and perfect for the process is really, really important. And there's probably no one better to do that than a professional industrial designer because they've got all these hats they understand, like ergonomics, safety, you know, assembly, shipping, product refinement, all these aspects that can really make the product cheaper to manufacture, cheaper to assemble, uh, less components means less cost in, in logistics and shipping and buying a product. So quite quickly, uh, I can pay for myself by just refining a product and making it as, as simple as possible. You can make a product in two ways. You can make it with sliding, you know, if you have an injection molding tool and you have lots of component, uh, lots of complexity in that component, the tooling can be twice the price. If you can take, if you can use smart design to refine that thing and get rid of the complexity, you can reduce the cost of the tooling by easily what I'd charge my consulting fees at. If you just take one component out and that component costs a dollar, when you first make your first order for 10,000 parts, there's 10 grand you saved. And usually, generally, I'll take four. I've, I've taken, I think the, work, the best one was 26 components down to four. You know, it saved hundreds of thousands of dollars in tooling. You know, and, and I think the job was 20 grand. So um, you can definitely pay, pay for yourself. The other thing is we have R&D tax rebates, which um, industrial designers, you know, are sort of rubber stamped with because they're all about R&D. So you generally get about 47% back from an R&D tax rebate. 
and all of our fees are claimable up to prototyping, anything to do with research and development, testing and experimentation. So if you put 20 grand into that project that we were speaking about before, we took one component out of it, you've saved 20 grand in tooling and components, and you've got eight grand back from the tax rebate from the government, you're $8,000 ahead of where you, where, you, where you were before you met me. So there's certainly, you know, and in the end you get a really, really appropriate market-ready product. Mm. So a bit of self-spruiking there, I guess, but it's not necessarily just me. I see it with, with Hamish, like my, my sinker product. I, I initially went out and did my marketing myself and I called it the snap-on sinkers. Yeah, that's cool, that's what it does, it snaps onto the line. Everyone perceived that product as a, as a locked um, sinker and it's a running ball sinker, which is generally what you use that product for. So I just missed the mark. Everyone who walked past that sinker didn't get it. So we've now changed that through Hamish's input to a quick change sinker, not the snap-on sinker, and it's changed the entire feel of that product when the market looks at it. Mm. So there's just certain things you know and there's certain things you don't know. Mm. And you know the, the amount of hats that I put on, I know in my industry, in order to get a product suitable to the market, you know, it, it, there's probably 20 different hats I put on to make sure the product's gonna be suitable for market, to be market ready. Mm. No, I'm sure you're the same when you do all your products, all your, all your stuff as well. Oh, well, I mean, it's just fascinating to listen to talk about the actual tangible uh, cost savings and money that you get back because of the rebates with tax and things like that. I mean, that's, uh, it's not just about self-spruiking there. Scott, I mean, that's uh, very important for entrepreneurs to, to realise that, I mean, yes, you can you have to put a lot of money in, but that doesn't mean to say it just goes into a hole. I mean, it, it's, it is a true investment and you get a lot of that back. I mean, that's, in, that's incredible. But I think what I'd, what I'd like to add to this conversation is in terms of looking at the value of using service providers is, first of all, the term service provider, I'm not too fond of because really what you need to have with any relationship with a, a client well what I like to have is you you have to look at you have to work with the client as a peer if you're not a peer all you are is just a functionary that is there to provide a job which they want done now if you come to Scott or I the value that you get obviously there's a fee involved but it's it's the pushback it is third-party perspective I mean we have come across so many different products in our working life that we can perhaps more often than not, provide advice on a, a number of different levels or ideas from a number of different levels. It's not just you come to us and say, I want a product designed. It's, well, hey, you know, how about we, we look at this in terms of the marketing approach or what about you? Obviously, we've spoken about last week, the brand culture. I mean, these are all things that we take into consideration. I mean, or, you know, Scott was talking about videography before. I mean, you wouldn't necessarily equate videography to a product designer because that seems out of Scott's box. But... If you're working with good service providers, the third-party perspective is absolutely invaluable. It's their experience that comes along with the actual job that you've tasked them to do, and that's where you've got to work with peers, not just service providers. Because if it's just a service provider, and they sit there and say, yes, do everything you want, because all they want is your fee, well then the outcome to that may not necessarily be what you require. I always like to say to clients when we start, especially things like naming projects, is you're going to get some argument from me and you're going to get some pushback because there's going to be some things where I like a concept and because of your world experience as opposed to my world experience, you're going to look at something in a... I mean, we're talking about some names before. Uh, Scott and I were talking about some names and uh, Scott immediately looked at one of the names I had come up with and said, oh, that's really funny. We couldn't have that because it reminds me of X. 
I won't say what that is, but I just thought, it wow, <laughs> well, it was rude, yeah. But I thought, wow, I, I actually didn't think of that, you know, and I'm always on the lookout for connotations which may be bad. So my job there as a service provider or a peer to you, because you're the client in this case, is to say, well, hey, yeah, let's, let's argue that out. I'm not going to sit there and go, I'll just put a line through it. I'll argue the hell out of that concept to push it as far as we can. You know, I'm not going to be a wallflower and, and that's say... that's your job. It, yeah. Yeah, it's your job as far as I'm concerned. And I've had very heated discussions with people because I know they're taking the wrong direction. Look at the holes I'll, in the wall. I'll try, I'm joking. <laughs> I'll try and I'm joking. guide them. I'm very passionate about it. I want them to succeed. <laughs> and I will, I will, I will uh, try and guide them. I mean, you can lead a horse to water. You can't make a drink. It's, it's their project in the end. But I will, I'll be very passionate about trying to drive them in the right direction. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I think really the message I want to get across here is you, you've... I would be suspicious if you don't get pushback, even from the first meeting. If a, if someone comes to me and we'll discuss a brief, let's just, if we're talking about naming, I will listen very carefully to the client about what it is they're trying to achieve. And obviously, you know, they, they're very knowledgeable, very close to the product, very close to the concept. My job is to provide a, a name for that product which is going to work for them in the market. However, often what happens is the disconnect is between, you know, they want a name that is going to sell a thousand different unique aspects of this product, but really you can't do that. I mean, you, you can't have a name that's 50 syllables, really. So you've, I've got to sit there and say, well, hey, one of the biggest things I've got to sell is, well, let's look at that name or that word in context with where it's going to sit. Yes, you're looking at it on a piece of A4 paper, but what about the supporting marketing material? And often that gets them because they think, oh, oh yeah, okay. I mean, that's it's not their fault. I mean, that's what I'm here for, but that's the value, you see. I'm not just going to sit there and say, oh, okay, you don't like that one, and then just keep going back to the drawing board. It's about saying, well, hey, let's look at this in context. Do we need to actually superimpose it on the product? That's part of the process as well. Or coming up with maybe a, a very quick website which shows the name in its environment with a photograph of the product in like a, a, a mocked up e-commerce system. And that's when you sort of start to look at the name in context. And that's what our job is, is to say, well, hey, let's just not look at something in isolation. You know, just go away and think about it. So it's, yeah, I'd always be say, I'd always say be suspicious of people that don't give you any pushback because they're not worth much if they're not, because there's no argument they're providing to you, they're not making you think. I've got to make clients think, because it's for their own benefit, because I'll make more money out of it if they get it right the first time. You can't, because I've often had people say, oh, I'll come back to you because, you know, we, we just, yeah, we're working with someone or a firm and they just, they did, they did everything we said, so we like that. And of course you like that, because, you know, you, you, you're, you're going to them with a, a problem and you know exactly how you want to solve it, but unfortunately, our job, is to say, actually, a lot of that's great, but what about this? Or what about that perspective? Or what about these other products that are sit, sitting right, you know, left or right of it? What about price point? How is that being reflected? So there's a, there's a whole gamut of issues that you come to a service provider for that isn't necessarily taken in consideration. It's a bit like working with a graphic designer. Now, a good graphic designer won't just say, okay, you need a logo and you want it blue. They'll say, well, actually, if we're looking at it, say, a competitive color wheel, there's five out of seven products already on the market are blue. We should really, if you're trying to push this as a unique new product, then we should maybe move away from blue or look at shape in consideration with how you use blue. So if I just follow you and say, well, this is what you want, uh, that's great. I mean, I've actually ticked the box and you're happy because I, you know, I've done what I've been asked and you've got what you think you wanted. 
but it's not necessarily going to be good for you in the long run. So again, coming back to that value equation, you've got to, when you go and see a service provider and, and seek out their services, just listen for that pushback. Listen to what other ideas. And it's not like we're going to sit there and, and argue with you because it's for the sake of the argument or you know we want to make ourselves look as if we're better than you. It's not about that at all. It's just simply to push a concept so far that you've exhausted every opportunity to make the right decisions. Yep, yep. It's a lot of risk mitigation. The other thing is efficiencies. Um, you know, people come to me and they've spent six years pondering an idea and getting to a prototype stage. Um, that's six years of lost opportunity. You mm. know, the opportunity cost of that product it might be making a million dollars a year. The six million dollars they've lost. Mm. So you know, generally, someone comes through the door. Obviously, a professional can turn these things around very quickly mm. and give you a really uh, a good result that the market's going to want. So you're going to sell more of them. You're going to be be more refined. It's going to be cheaper. So many things are going to fly much easier. Uh, opportunity costs are one of the things that a lot of people don't don't really take into consideration. No, no, it's not. And if I can add too, which is a bit separate to this, but looking at our own sales processes, I mean, I had an interesting case last year where I was helping someone with a project, and I knew they were a little bit difficult in terms of selling my services and my fee, and. I knew I could do a good job and he knew I could do a good job and it got to a point where it really, the focus for him was just the price. So I'd given him a proposal and it was it was reasonable. I mean, it was reasonable because he went ahead in the end, but he was trying to beat me down on price. And this is where, as a service provider, a technique that I, well, I've only used it a couple of times. It was quite funny though. He was really just trying to beat me down on price and because at that point, he was looking at me not as a peer, but just as a simple service provider. What I did is reached across the table and said, look, you know what, it sounds as though there's not much value in this project and doing it, so what I'm gonna do is say, let's not worry about, let's not worry about it at all, and we'll just part as friends and and leave it at that. I got the job. Now, that's I'm not being funny with telling, I'm not you know trying to prove it, the only point I'm trying to make with that is you've got to, make sure that you're then, because I was seen as a peer after that, because I'm, I was saying, look, I'm prepared to walk away. I'm not just here to take every job that comes at me under the sun and, and do it for less just because someone's trying to beat me down. It's about saying, well, no, you've got to establish yourself on a level playing field with the client. Otherwise, you, you really don't have a good working relationship moving forward. I mean, you and I have been doing this for long enough. We know how much energy and time and effort is involved in all these pro- the creative projects. It's, it's yeah. always difficult. And, um, you know, you know what, what the... What your bottom line is, you know what you're going to put. Mm. We don't, so really, neither of us, uh, you know, are gouges. We don't, we don't over, overcharge. We just know well, what's involved. You're going to, you don't want a good job out of me. It's going to cost you this much. If you want a rubbish job, go down the road. Yeah. So I think really to to bring it back to entrepreneurs and inventors, that story I just told is if you're looking to work with an investor or you, you really need an investor, is perhaps you've got a, a negotiation where they're trying to maybe get 80% of your company in exchange for the cash they give you and you're not happy with that at all because you can see where it's going to go. They're the sort of situations where you have to, that's another area where you have to establish a peer relationship with them and say, well, hey, yes, you need me, but I need you. So there's specific techniques you can use there, which is more psychological than anything, hmm. but it still counts. So that, that little story still applies to entrepreneurs that are talking to investors. Yep. Look, I've seen it before where people go and do their own thing, come back, and they've just simply wasted a lot more time and a lot more money. I've done it myself with my marketing, with the sinkers. You know, I, I tried it myself, went round and round in circles, 
just cost me lots and lots of sales mm. and I got Hamish involved and then realized my mistake and you know it's not it's not like it's uh it's silly to try and save the money it just we just want to just you know tell you you got to be a bit sensible about um you know whether it's worth the, the opportunity losses and, and and all the time extended times that come around with trying to do it yourself trying ways to do things and then coming back and you've spent money doing it anyway you're pretty much spending the same sort of money and uh you're getting a worse result mm. Mm. Interesting stuff. A lot to uh, take on board there. <laughs> we'll uh, continue this next week. So yeah. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick.